Now, one of the functions of humour, of course, is a release. Release of inhibition, as in, say, lavatorial jokes. Excuse me, sir. Um, uh, are indeed uh, scatological uh, humour. Uh, excuse me again, sir. I, I suppose you want to know what scatological means? Ah, oh, no, no, I know what that means. It's all about the... the... Yes, yes, yes. Well, we, we've got a performer here, have we? Oh, oh, yes, sir. It's all a matter of wind control, you see. Yes, quite. As I was saying, it's essentially a matter of uh, release of uh, inhibition. Uh, uh, that's right, that, 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 that's right. Sometimes, of course, it's a release of prejudice or of fear. Uh, 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 excuse me, sir. Yes? Uh, um, could, could you ever tell me where the dancing class is? Dancing class? Yes. You see, I've come up all the way from Carsevin. I'm a Schlieveen from Carsevin. And I'm up here to do tap dancing <laughs> and to learn a few Kerry jokes. Oh, that. Uh, is that what they do over there? Uh, over there, mind the... Uh, glass partition. Partition? I knew it. I knew it. Politics at the back of it all. Right? Right. OK. OK, sir, right, oh. Got your feet OK? My feet? Oh, oh, oh yes, feet. Uh, there they are, down there. Uh, no, OK, then away we go. There's one letter here from Rathcool in County Dublin this morning which encloses a leaving certificate paper for a Kerry man. This is the questions, these are the selection of questions on the leaving certificate paper specially drafted for a Kerry man. And it says, time allowed, 56 hours only. Take Hitler, Stalin, Attila, the nun. No one got a good word for a single one. Where these first-class geniuses all going wrong? They never got the population singing along. Question one, who won the Second World War? Question two, who came second? Question three, answer only A or B of the following. A, explain the theory of relativity. Or B, write down your own name. Question stop, four, stop, this, this is the question. I beg your pardon. Cat, what are you? Are you dog, No, rat. I'm the Kerry man. Two kinds of humour there. One, a record written by Alan Coran for the satirical magazine Punch, published in London. A magazine long established and long reflecting the British way of life. And the second example... Well, the voice of that well-known radio show in which a spate of Kerryman jokes have recently featured. Question five. What time is it at noon, to the nearest hour? Now, in both cases, what the humour has in common is... Excuse me, sir. Go away, my good man. What the humour has in common is that both single out a particular ethnic or social group. Excuse me, sir. All right, what is it? That, that, that word you, you use there, ethnic, could you ever tell me what that... What, what the word means? A particular racial grouping of people. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much, sir. A particular ethnic grouping is singled out as the butt of humour, a humour which is intended to portray that grouping in a particularly unfavourable light. Disgrace, that's what it is. Disgrace. Yes, yes, yes. Well, well, for instance, in the past few years, we've seen the spread of the um, Irish joke in Britain. At the cinema, the girl in the box office noticed an Irishman come back for a ticket only seconds after buying one. And he came back and bought a third ticket shortly after that as well. And the girl said, that's the third ticket you bought, sir. He said, that's right, yes, I know that, you see, but, but there's a big fella inside the door there who keeps tearing him up. <laughs> jokes, if you can call them jokes, like that. 
They are currently told up and down the length of Britain in working men's clubs, in pub shows, in revived music hall entertainment. The jokes, as a format, are particularly popular on television. For instance, an analysis of the television show The Comedians showed the jokes to be, in order of frequency... Anti-Semitic, anti-Pakistani, anti-Irish. Thank you. Now, all this outbreak of racial humour is hardly unrelated to the fact that British soldiers were being killed in Ulster. No, not Ulster. Ulster is housed referred to in the British what press. What did you... Uh, yes, in Northern Ireland. So obviously that has something to do with it. So we thought we'd look at the connection. Writing in the magazine New Society of April last year, Jessica Campbell Cook wrote that... Perhaps the stress on the stupidity of the Irish stems from the idea that the IRA might be said to be rather more amateurish and unsuccessful in their methods than other practitioners of guerrilla warfare. Oh, what do you do when an Irishman throws a hand grenade at you? What do you do indeed when an Irishman does throw a hand grenade at you? Oh, you take the pin out and throw it back at him. <laughs> Wizard! Uh, or perhaps we tell these jokes to lessen our own anxiety about what's going on in, in uh, uh, Northern Ireland. What's all this got to do with Kerryman? Uh, when we tell the current joke, what does it say on the bottom of Irish milk bottles, open other end, we are trying to allay our fears about the terrorists. After all, they're so stupid they don't know one end of a milk bottle from another. Another stickier joke deals with the Irish prowess in the field of military technology. Did you hear about the Irish parachute? It opens on impact. These jokes and the following Irish GCE examination paper have recently been in circulation in the London school where I work. Irish GCE examination, 1973. Question 1. Who won the Second World War? Question two, who came second? Question three, what is a silver dollar made of? Uh, excuse me, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Question four, explain Einstein's theory of hydrodynamics or write your own name in block letters. Bloody cheeky. Question five, spell the following. Cat, dog, carrot. I spell you. Question six. What time is news at ten? Yeah, I got it on. Question seven. Approximately how many commandments was Moses given? A lot you know about him. Question eight. There have been six kings of England called George. George the first was one. Name the other five. Five bloody Egypts. Question nine. Write down the numbers from one to ten. Marks will be deducted for every one out of six. No, 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 listen, excuse me here, Mrs. Question 10. Who invented Stevenson's rocket? Question 11. What instrument does Phil the fluter play? I'll show you a flute in a minute. Question 12. Do you understand Newton's law of gravity? Uh, Answer yes or no. Question 13. Of what country is Dublin the capital? A decent country. Candidate must not write on more than two sides of the paper. Oh, the wine got Question 14. Spot the deliberate mistake. An apple a day gathers no moss. Oh, do listen to that. Question 15. Name the odd man out. A Seamus O'Toole, Mahatma Gandhi, Sean O'Flaherty, Patrick Murphy. It's an insult. Question 16. Who is the odd man out? Cardinal Heenan, the Pope, Jack the Ripper, 
the Archbishop of Canterbury. Oh, did you ever hear that? Question 17. Is a dunker A a person who dips biscuits into his tea? B a contraceptive? C a lorry for motorway construction? This question need not be answered by Roman Catholics. Shut up, you idiot. Question 18. Name the winning jockey of the 1972 Greyhound Derby. Uh-huh. Question 19. Who built the Great Pyramids, MacAlpine, Wimpies, or the Pharaohs? Got it. You get a close to a breaking image. In the 1972 Irish Sheepdog Trials, how many dogs were found guilty? There should have been a bitch found guilty. Disgraceful. That's what it is. Disgraceful. Oh, why so? They're the same jokes that... that, that that George Borden was telling about Kerryman. So? If you're going to tell stories about Kerryman, they should at least be original. I'll get the Megillah Curries after you, I'm warning you. I'll break every bit of tea in the place. Which only goes to show that there's very little original about these stories. Essentially, they're variations on the kind of stories Americans used to tell about Polish immigrants, sometimes known as Pollock jokes. Oh, that's right, that's right. But there was truth in them, you know. My uncle Dino from Abidon, you know, he was in Boston, you know. And when he first went there, you know, all the Miguel Curtis from Abidon went to Boston, like, and he was at this party, you see, giving away some of them Pollocks, like. And my uncle Dan had never seen ice cubes, you see. So he says to the Pollock, my uncle Dan from Abidon, he says to the Pollock, how do you make them ice cubes? And you know what the Pollock said? Oh, Christ, no, you know. Do you know what the Pollock said? He said, he said, he said, to say, I'm sorry, to say, the Pollock, like, I'm sorry, I can't find the recipe. Yes. Well, don't you get it? What the Pollock said to my Uncle Dan from Abbey Dorney, who wasn't Boston. Will you throw him out, or shall I? My turn, I think. Another contributor to the sociological coverage in the magazine New Society on what lay behind... Excuse me, what does uh, sociological mean? Uh, Pertaining to sociology. Sociology is the study of those who don't need it, by those who do. Like yourself, like you are, like for one. (laughs) The Irish jokes. Sarah Nelson of the University of Strathclyde, who has also written in New Society about the um, sociological reasoning behind the um, jokes. First of all, the jokes may provide a sort of way of getting back at the Irish um, for all their various forms of anti-British activity in the last few years. Um... And perhaps there's really no other way they can do it. But more important, I think, if I could say a bit about the transition in these Irish jokes. Now, there's always been Irish jokes. Um, but they've in the main been sort of about the quaintness of the Irish. If I could give an example, is that all right? Um, there's a joke about two British tourists who are going through Kerry in a car. And uh, they come to this level crossing which has one gate open and one gate shut, and they don't know what to do, so they knock on the door of the cottage, and the old man comes out, and they say, you know, what are we supposed to do? Do we go across or not? And he says, well, the thing is this, I was half expecting a train from Cork this morning. And this is a sort of quaintness joke that is sort of traditional. But what you've been finding in recent months, and I think it really is pretty recent, is that all the jokes now emphasise Irish stupidity. And... As far as I know, these are similar jokes that have been made about Poles on occasions and also about Newfoundlanders in Canada. But I think these are long-standing jokes, whereas this transition to a stupidity-type joke um, seems to be very recent. And therefore I ask myself, why, why was this and why were they so popular? 
Um, now, I suggested one reason about getting back at the Irish, but the second reason, I think, is that the jokes about stupidity perhaps um, reflect a very real feeling among British people that the Irish must be stupid to be fighting this kind of war. Now, why is this? Because many British people think that the Irish are apparently fighting about religion, which they find very strange in their own particular culture. So that the jokes reflect a widespread view that the Irish conflict is irrational. Now, the reason that the Irish conflict seems irrational um, to many people on this side of the Irish Sea, I think, is because of the extreme difference between the two political cultures. So that in Britain, the good things um, are sort of moderation, toleration and compromise. If you notice at the last election, all the parties were saying to the electorate that they were the moderates, they were the people that compromised, they weren't the extremists. This is the way you get votes. Also, of course, British apathy about religion, which wasn't true in the last century, incidentally, but it's much more so now. Um, in Irish culture, on the other hand, in their political culture, um, you've got a situation where historically compromise is a very dirty word indeed, and you see this today in the sort of statements made both by loyalists and by republicans, because compromise equals treachery or appeasement, and moderation simply meant weakness, and politics, of course, was a very heroic thing. But to a British person looking at this, the whole thing seems completely irrational. Um, and therefore, if you like, the, the, probably the jokes about stupidity have more appeal. And also, perhaps, uh, this is the reason why um, sort of liberal-type people who make these jokes, whereas they'd be a bit more embarrassed about making wog jokes, um, they may feel this is true as well. I think many elements of the British left feel that the Irish are being very stupid and should be allowed to fight it out because they don't really deserve any better. That's a lie. A modern lie. On behalf of the Boston Association of Mafiosi, Italian Kellymen... I am known as the Mafia. And on behalf of the ancient order of Hibernian gunslingers, I protest, we don't talk like that at all. No, no, of course we don't. Do we, Hal Roach? Two fellas were leaning over a conduit bridge, you see, looking at the Liffey, just flowing by peacefully. And just then one of them saw a plank floating down the water. And the quick wit of the Dublin man is unequalled. When he saw the plank floating in the water, he said to his friend, Look at that, the border works. And the other fellow said, it couldn't be. It's moving. <laughs> Is there, then, some basis for this kind of current humour? As the English see it, do Irishmen talk funny? We say things that aren't necessary in the course of conversation, and we don't even know that we're doing it, but we do. As you know yourselves, you could live here all your life and your neighbour live beside you, and they'll still greet you in the morning over the garden wall, something like this. Good morning. Is that yourself? I mean, who else, for God's sake? Or sometimes you're walking down the street and somebody recognises you and they say, Ha ha, there you are. Isn't that marvellous? A brilliant deduction, that is. But we do talk like that. I was in a bar the other night having a pint and this fellow walked up to me and he said, uh, Have you not gone home yet? And him looking at me. Oh, sure, there you go. Or the two fellas working on a building site, you see, and one fellow shouted up to the other, he said, Casey, don't come down that ladder. I'm after taking it away. There's a fellow walking down the street one day and there's a big hole in the road and he falls into it. He can't get out. He's stuck, stuck fast in the hole. And this fellow comes along, sees him stuck in the hole and says, are you after falling down in that hole? And the fellow in the hole said, not at all. He said, I just happened to be down here and they built the pavement around me. There was four fellas standing outside Jury's hotel the other night and this big guard went up to them and said, if you fellas want to stand there now, you'll have to move on.
Some time ago I was standing at a bus stop. There was 25 of us standing at the bus stop. We were uh, waiting for the bus at the time. This fellow walked up to me and he said, uh, Do you know what I'm going to tell you? Well, now, no way would I know what he's going to tell me, but that's his figure of speech. He said, If we all get on this bus, there'll be about half of us left behind. I went down to see my mother, and I was on the bus going down to see my mother, and this fellow walked up to me and he said, Excuse me, are you reading that newspaper you're sitting on? My mother is 80 years old. She thinks television is a town in Israel. As we see it, do all carry businessmen wear striped Wellingtons? Ah, uh, uh, I knew it, I knew it. Wellington, sure we all know what he said. At the time he was asked if he was Irish? The fact that one is born in a stable doesn't make one a horse. Horse? Of course I'm horse. I'm a horse protester. Uh, you mean a horse protestant. Wellington, like many of the Anglo-Irish, was a protestant on a horse. Oh, wait, wait, I tell you now. An English joke for a change. All about Wellington. You see it? He was riding into the battle of... Uh, of uh, the Victoria of... Station. He was riding into the battle anywhere, this battle. And the block beside him, you know, his ad ad what is it? A portable tent. His portable tent block anywhere, who was riding beside him, called Ponsonbeer. And a right old Pons he was too, the crab jaw. He'd his leg blown off to sir, and his leg blown off from the knee, legless, you know. And he said to Wellington, my lord, my leg's blown off. And Wellington looked at him, still riding hard into battle, and said... My lord, so you have Ponsonby, right on. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that was terribly funny, do you? And was it a gun or a big cannonball? Blow your leg away from me at all. With a with a for do, with a for No, it, it doesn't work. You see, the point of this humour is that it's told by people above about the people below. For instance, many of these stories were told here. Before the Kerryman took over, they were told about Leitrim, and it's no accident that Leitrim is the poorest county in Ireland. I believe they're planting trees there now, instead of people. In Galway, they tell jokes about Connemara people. In England, about the Irish. In Germany, about the Yugoslavs. There was a time once when Cologne was called the Chicago of Western Germany, but uh, first... This time is has gone, and second, it's not. Uh, it had nothing to do with the foreign workers here. The general fear, or the fact that so many people are afraid of Italians, they pull the knives out and attack anybody, and so it's ridiculous. It's absolutely untrue. You must remember. Uh, with all respect uh, to the German people, it's a bit difficult to forget that for a couple of hundred years, inofficially and then officially, we say during the Second World War, anything westward um, of Germany was sort of first class, like the English, uh, the Irish, Americans and so on. Eastward, the Slovaks, the Czechs, the Italians and so on, they're all degenerate, you see, they were second class. Whereas the Italians, of course, find the inhabitants of their offshore island of Sicily amusing. So that while in Germany Italians are regarded as the butt of humour, the Italians in turn find Sicilians a useful target and tend to regard Sicilians as many of the British regard the inhabitants of what they would see as the offshore island of Ireland. As a bit fey and a bit feckless, given to a touch of the song and the poetry, but essentially 
untrustworthy underneath. Everybody, it seems, needs someone else upon which to foist the prejudices of laughter. In Germany now, a number of immigrant races are that but. And you had, of course, the slave workers from Poland, from, from Italy, from Yugoslavia, and so on. And now they're no longer slave workers, but they are employed in the very the most menial uh, employment here in Germany. Street workers, uh, street cleaners, diggers, and so on. So Italians are somewhat viewed aghast. I mean, people think of them as second-class people. Won't say that, of course, but it's there. Economic values have a lot to do with it the poorest county of Leitrim, immigrant Irish labourers in Britain, there is an economic determinant, which is why immigrant peoples are often particularly keen to climb up the social ladder and to become acceptable in economic terms and therefore, hopefully in time, immune from the laughter of prejudice. Each puts onto the other imagined faults. In Britain, they refer to French letters and in France to les capes anglaises, one wonders how the mail ever gets delivered. <laughs> how do the English view the French in general? They see the French as arrogant, dirty, um, not very efficient. Um, they're suspicious of them, suspicious of their political machinations within the EC, for example. They know, I suspect, that... Uh, this is, of course, what's so funny about all this, is that the French think much the same about them. Now, the... What I should say... How think, do the French... I mean, how is this expressed, what the French think of the English? Well, as I've lived in France for some years, I, I, I think, frankly, I'm more qualified to speak about the French than I am about the English, because uh, I think the first thing to say is that uh, the French have this term Anglo-Saxon to describe all English-speaking peoples, including ourselves, Irish people. They don't distinguish. To them, Anglo-Saxons, again, are arrogant. Anglo-Saxons think they're ahead in everything, and everybody else is behind. Anglo-Saxons dominate the world of business internationally. Anglo-Saxons, particularly through American culture, have uh, influenced the whole popular cultural scene. And um, Anglo-Saxons, if you wish, um, the French think... Uh, if they're not watched, will take over everything. Well, no, uh, you're talking about all the delivery of the uh, French letters and the like of that you see between England and France, and uh, you're talking about mails. My uncle was as fine a mail as I could see, and he was from Abidonis, I didn't tell you, and with his uh, brother-in-law, you see, they were often Camden Town after being laid off, you know, they were working in a fish and chip shop and whatever, hopefully they had, they were kicked out of it. But they hit upon the plan of building a tunnel, you see, from Dover to Calais, you see, between England and France. So they were conniving away anyway, and they came to the conclusion that they'd approach the ministry. So they went up to the ministry, you see, the Ministry of Transport, and says, my uncle from Abidorne to the ministry chap, he says to him, listen, he says, myself and uh, Mickey in the cut here, we have taught upon an idea of building a tunnel from Dover to Calais. Oh, I see, so see, this is very interesting, 40-year plans. Well, now, says my uncle, you know, he was a great man for giving digs at football matches. I'm going to dig from Dover... And the cud is gone to dig from Calais, and we'll meet in the middle. Oh, very interesting, says the old Hoja, you see, the ministry, he says. But suppose ye don't meet? Yeah, I don't mind that, says Dunkle from Mabby Dorney. He says, well, God damn it, and Blaston, man, won't you, won't you have two tunnels for the price of one? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, yes, I know, yes, yes, I quite, know. Quite. You're all jealous of the Kerry men, all in clearies and lifting women off dance floors and, uh, and winning all Ireland. Uh, that's what's bothering ye, jealousy. 
<laughs> There's a point there. Yes, he may actually have a point. A point? Oh, yes, a large one. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> what was the name of that chap who took your drink? Nick McGuinness? Yes, yes. You see, it's a mixture of fear and self-defence. Like in America, many white Americans have an underlying belief in the sexual prowess of the black man. They believe that the black man is um, better endowed with larger... Yes, yes, yes. yes oh, she quite... was big and she was beautiful and her rigging was all tall. <laughs> and the fellow, I mean, no, I mean, what's his name? I mean, he held the queen to ransom offered to buy her new underwear when she had no money. Murdered a hundred thousand of his political opponents. I know, it's politics at the back of it all. So, naturally, Punch magazine leaps to the defence. If you're all so smart, why don't you ask that fellow Corn who made it all up about Yamin? I'm counting you in with the well-known counting themes. Here we go. One, two... Oh, no, we'll come after two. Look at the history and packed with men. What rising to the top and getting chopped again? No one fathoming the secret of the whole damn thing. You gotta give the population something to sing. Stalin, Attila the Nun No one got a good word for a single one Where these first-class geniuses all going wrong They never got the population singing along Idi, Idi, Idi Ami Most amazing man there's ever been He be general, he president, he king of the scene Idi, Idi, Idi Ami Listen with the world-famous Kampala Key Club mine keeping in the damn background. What the hell going on here? It looking like some kind of musical coup to me. That's better. Three people more than enough for a quartet anyhow. Hello, Punch Magazine. You wish to speak? Mr. Corrin... Why do you write all that stuff about our friend? I mean, people let it all hang out. If you don't want to vanish with a boot up the bomb, you gotta give the population something to hum. You're still crowding the stand. I think it's possible to amuse without uh, giving offence in the wrong quarters and with giving offence in the right quarters. What the hell going on here? I think it's genuinely possible to laugh and poke fun of and hurt people of whatever hue or persuasion who are in positions of power where they shouldn't be or indeed in any sort of position where they shouldn't be. That's the thing which is funny about Amin. It's not that he's black uh, nor that he's African. It's simply a conjunction of rather ridiculous circumstances that have put a totally uh, ill-equipped man in a position of power. Alan Coran of Punch magazine is the author of the Amin satires. Had he received many objections? 
Well, none at all. I have to tell you, although it really sounds preposterous, but I assure you there's corroboration for this with my publishers and the record producers and everyone else. I've been doing the column in Punch for two years, and that goes to, I suppose, two million readers worldwide. Uh, the two books I produced have sold a quarter of a million, and the disc has gone to, I gather, 18 countries, and I have not had a single letter or postcard or phone call objecting to anything about it. I had an invitation from Idi Amin about six months ago to spend a couple of weeks in his palace at Kampala to see Uganda for myself, and apart from that, I've had none of the normal attacks on British journalists that, say, David Martin's had at The Observer, or there's been no suggestion that I'd be persona non grata there. It's all been received with, in a way, rather... Uh, irritating uh, delight from Uganda. I can't think why, other than the fact that he must assume it's good for him. He's a very strange man. He believes, uh, really like a lot of Western entrepreneurs, that all publicity is good publicity. He doesn't seem to object to humorists uh, making fun of him. He objects to serious journalists in serious newspapers telling the truth about him. That's an invitation you're not likely to take up, though. I wouldn't be here if I had, I think. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I know about my own sense of humour. What I don't know about is Idi Amin's sense of humour. I shouldn't like to turn up at uh, the palace with my suitcase and uh, spare umbrella, only to find myself um, wiped out very quickly. Uh, it has to be remembered that my stuff appears in a magazine which is supposed to be a funny magazine. A lot of serious newspapers, predominantly, I suppose, the Daily Mail, have made fun of Amin as a result of genuine news stories. This is really rather different from uh, my making jokes about him. It would be exactly the same uh, with, for example, the IRA, were the Times to start making fun of the IRA and its reporting. It would offend all sorts of people, including the Irish Republicans. However, if jokes about them come up in music halls or in television shows or Morecambe and Wise or in working men's clubs or whatever, it's, it's much more acceptable. I think it's possible to amuse without uh, giving offence in the wrong quarters and with giving offence in the right quarters. If Conor Cruz O'Brien would become chief rabbi. We would have the radio Israel, not to mention Tel Aviv TV, but you wouldn't see it. For why wouldn't you see it? For why wouldn't I see it? Because your nose would get in the way, Schmuck. Uh, did you know that Kerryman are the Arabs of Ireland? Why are Kerryman the Arabs of Ireland? Oh, because after the Six Day War, the fastest thing on Golders Green was a, a Kerryman on a bicycle. As I was trying to say, there's hardly any ethnic or social group which doesn't make jokes about the group it considers beneath it. Did you hear the one about the Corkman? Well, you see, when the Irish army were leaving the Congo, this officer and his Batman were coming through a jungle clearing, and they saw a black man reading the Cork Examiner under a palm tree. And so the Batman, come here, look over there, there's a fellow reading the Examiner. And the officer said to him, I beg your pardon, my good man, but are you from Cork? I see you're reading the examiner. And the black man said, no, he says, man, he says, ain't it bad enough being black? And come here, uh, what about the Kerry man who, who couldn't find a place to water ski? Why couldn't the Kerry man find a place to water ski? Because he couldn't find a lake with a slope. <laughs> all right, all right, then, come here, let's tell some jokes now about the English. All right, all right, some jokes about the English. Yeah. I'd know any jokes about English. There are very few jokes about the English. Mm. Ask the lady from Punch. Hello. Hello. I'm Dawn, who is to speak. Tell me, do you know any jokes about English? Oh, uh, uh, well, well, actually, there were these three men stranded on an island. Uh, a German, a Frenchman and an Englishman. And this, this rather delicious girl was washed up. Uh, the German seduced her by showing off his marvellous physique... 
the Frenchman seduced her by whispering sweet nothings in her ear. And they both turned to the Englishman and said, Well, what about you? And the Englishman said, Well, actually, we haven't been introduced yet. I I don't think that's very funny. I I, thought it was great. I don't get the point of it at all. Put it in a nutshell. Put it in if you like. Listen, give over, give over, give over. No, I thought it was great. What's so funny about it? Listen to me. I tell you what. Did you hear the one about the packy that went to the doctor? Doctor, he said, I'm wanting to be an Irishman. An Irishman said the doctor, well, to do that, we'll have to take a third of your brain. Okay, said the Pakistani, I don't mind, that's fine. So they wheeled him off to the hospital on the operating table. And after the operation, took him back to the ward. After two hours, the doctor came along and woke him up and said, I'm terribly sorry, old chap, he said. We've taken... A half of your brain away instead of a third. Well, that's quite all right, said the Pakistani. Jolly good show. I tell you, just, go one just, up. Just one time, it was the time when the flood came, you see, and there was Noah and he had the ark, and he had, you know, he was sailing around the world. But there was one man left out of the flood and he was a Kerryman sitting on top of Cabin Tool with his crook up I'm to his sure. beard and the water lapping around him. Sure. And he shouted across and he says, hey, no, he says, any chance of a lift? And no looked at him and he said, look, he says, I've only room for two of everything on this boat and there's nothing else on the water like you so I can't take you. That's fine, said the Kerryman. You can stick your ark up your jersey. It's only a shower. <coughs> and I think you're a shower too. The spate of Irish jokes in Britain, of course, had recently reached such a height that uh, leaders of the Irish community in London objected to London weekend television uh, concerning them because they felt the jokes had become offensive to them as a community. But, of course, not all British people sympathise with the jokes. Sarah Nelson, the sociologist from the University of Strathclyde, whom you heard earlier, has this to say. I do feel offended at them. Is that I think they bring to the surface um, the residue in British people of, of racialist views about, you know, the whole stereotype of the Irishman, that he's unstable, he's barbaric, and he's politically childish, which survives from Victorian prejudices, and perhaps this is best documented in L.P. Curtis's book, Anglo-Saxons and Salts, which is an excellent book. And, uh, you know, if you look at the sort of things that British people were saying about the Irish then, they're very similar to the kind of things that they were saying later about Africans and Indians um, when the independence struggle was on. If I could quote from Edith Balfour in 1905, writing about the Irish. <clears throat> they are like children still listening to old fairy stories, like children who will not grow up. But like children, too, they appeal to the love and pity of all. What would I not give to help them? But the task is difficult, and if you give children complete freedom... They will certainly stray. Well, there we are. The French may laugh at the Germans, the Germans may laugh at the Yugoslavs, the Italians may laugh at the Sicilians, the British may laugh at the Irish, and the Irish may laugh at Kerrymen, while, in turn, Kerry townspeople from Tralee may laugh at the habits of those from the village 
of say Schneem, or as one Irish magazine columnist put it, I'm not Schneeden at Schneem. And in Schneem itself, one householder might regard himself as a cut above the small farmer with a few acres. And so on, down the line, and down the pile, until somewhere at the bottom of it all, one sad little man feels the weight of all the world's rancorous laughter. And that, I suppose, was the essential appeal of the little man in the black baggy trousers whose shambling effort to get somewhere summed up the universal butt of the universal sad joke.